If you've heard this before, don't stop me because I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, there's a story about a, a, a man, he came home from uh, work, he was a construction worker, came into the house and he sits his little boy down and he said, son, I need to ask you a question, I need you to tell me the truth. Did you walk by the construction site today and knock over that porta potty? Kid thought about it for a minute and he said, yeah, I did, I did that. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to have to discipline you and uh, it's going to be pretty severe. He said, Dad, wait a minute, you know, George Washington chopped down the cherry tree, he admitted it to his father, and his father was glad that he told the truth and he didn't get in trouble. He said, yes, but George Washington's dad was not in the tree. <laughs> so don't knock over porta-potties, that's the moral of the story. <laughs> Jesus, we love you, Lord, thank you again for your love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here with us. We ask, God, that you would uh, just minister to our hearts today. Lord, that we would hear from heaven. Um, Lord, just in this season where we're talking about transformation, Lord God, I, I pray that it would just be an ongoing process in all of our hearts, that we would be transformed to become more like Christ every day. Father, I pray that each one of us would allow you to do what you want to do in and through us to transform us. That as we walk with you in relationship, we would allow that work to happen through the power of the Spirit, through the power of the Word of God. And so, Lord, we just give you this time. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking about transformation and uh, kind of the word that I felt like the Lord was speaking over us um, this year, as, as a church body, um, I've been fighting a cold, so if you see the Kleenex, um, I thought I would keep it up here so I won't drizzle. I was going to stick one in my nose, but I thought that would be distracting, so forgive me if that happens. Not that part, but uh, if I have to go to the tissue. But I've been talking about transformation and what that means to us and, and, and in our walk with Jesus and what he's speaking to our hearts. And um, a part of this is what God's speaking to me specifically with the things that he's doing in my life, things that he wants to transform in and through me. Um, and I'm, I'm challenging you with that as well. Uh, let's, I'm, I'm going to backtrack a little bit, kind of talk about what I've talked about before just for a few minutes, and then we're going to get into where, where we're going today. Um, we will eventually be in, in Philippians chapter 3. Um, so if you want to find that um, right now, you can do that, but it'll be a few minutes before we get there. But what does transformation mean when we hear this word tra to, to be transformed? You know, Paul tells us, and he's given this command from God to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so the Lord's desire for us is to be transformed, to be different, to be like Christ. Then we can say, well, how do we do that? How do we walk that out? How do we walk in transformation? Because it means to change in form, to change in appearance or structure, to metamorphose, to change in condition, nature, or character. It's the idea of you know, the butterfly, the, the worm, the caterpillar becoming a butterfly and going through that process of transformation and change. You notice in that whole process of metamorphosis, it doesn't just happen instantly. There is a process. There is a time when the caterpillar, they, it spins this cocoon, and it is basically worthless, or it feels that way, like there's nothing going on. But there is major things going on. 
It can't move, though. It can't go back and be a caterpillar anymore because it's going to eventually fly. And the process of transformation is happening where eventually this butterfly will begin to break out of the cocoon and even the struggle to break free will enable it to fly. It's very powerful when we think of that in context of spiritual transformation and becoming who God intended us to be. Because that's why in our lives, no struggle, no pain, no conflict, no trial that you've ever gone through is wasted time. It is preparing you something if we will allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in and through us. We're being changed in appearance, structure. We're being changed in condition, nature, and character. And so my desire is more than just, you know, we can look at that in an obvious context and say, well, isn't that the goal of every Christian? I'm talking about intentional transformation, intentionally living for Jesus and allowing Him to work in and through us, allowing Him to pinpoint maybe something or, or other things in our lives that He's wanting to deal with in and through us. And, and, and so I ask this question as He's asking me is, what is He speaking to you about? Is it, is it his, your relationship with him where it's not where it needs to be? And he says, I want to I walk with you and transform you in the relationship with me. Maybe it's a relationship with someone else and a marriage and a child relationship, brother-sister relationship where it has been strained and God is saying, I want to transform that. Maybe it's a sinful pattern that you've found yourself in and, and it feels like you know, no matter how hard I try, I keep falling back into that old pattern. And God is wanting to walk with you through that. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's something that he's called you to do as far as ministry in the church. And so when we look at Jesus' desire to transform us, to make us more like himself and transform these areas in our lives, first and foremost is he does not just leave us on our own to do it. He wants to walk with us through it. That's a part of his relationship desire for us. But also, we're going to have resistance. If that's what God wants for us, you're, going to, you're going to see resistance. I, and I encourage you, if you are in that process in relationship and you're giving your heart to the Lord and you are experiencing resisting, resistance, thank God for it. That's why James said, consider it joy when you encounter trials. That we, can, we don't have to thank God for it, but we can consider it as joy. To say, God, you are working. And if the enemy is resisting me, that means something's working. And also, as God transforms us, he makes us his transform agents to the world. That we are called to love God, love others. We are being transformed to be transformed agents. And I've said, I said this last week, is the church has the greatest potential for impact on planet Earth. I mean, we serve the risen Savior. We serve the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. We serve the man Christ Jesus, who is going to rule and reign forever, he's going to judge the nations. The most powerful men and women on the earth will stand before him. He will rule and reign forever. That's the guy, that's whose team we're on. But he wants us to make an impact in this world. The other day, Barry and I had the opportunity to uh, go over to Pizza Ranch and... Uh, meet with the employees uh, there and uh, just kind of process with them through the tragedy that happened and we were able to share a few things and uh, pray for them and uh, it was interesting because a young man came up to me afterwards 
there was a few people said thanks for coming, but you know, it was, it was, they were shell-shocked, as you can you know, imagine. But this young man comes up to me, and he says, uh, you know, and he, has no, he has no religious reference for what just happened. He said, well, thanks for your speech. And uh, he said, and then he, he kind of tells me something about prayer and her being in the arms of God. It was kind of a, a neat little thing that he kind of quoted that he had memorized. And he said, I said, that's really, that's really a beautiful thing that you shared. He said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even religious. And I said, that's great, and neither am I. Of course, he kind of looked at me like, you know, you're a weirdo, you're a pastor, right? You're, you know, um, but it was a great exchange, and he was kind of open to talk for a few minutes, and uh, and I said, you know, yeah, religion, I, I'm a, I, I want you to know that, you know, the whole idea of God, Christianity, Jesus, it's about him wanting a relationship with you. It isn't a religion. And he kind of thought about that a minute, and he said this. He said, yeah, I, I think I kind of like God. It's his fan club I'm not that crazy about. And I almost said, neither am I, but I'm like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to say that, but I, I am a part of the fan club. And, uh, but it struck me of the perception, you know, and I don't know if he's been hurt in church. We didn't talk much more than that, but he, you know, and I said, well, I just want you to know God loves you. And, uh, and, and he, you know, gave me a hug. And it was just an interesting exchange that, uh, that, that I thought about. And, 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 and it kind of wore on my heart as I left that moment. And, uh, been kind of thinking about it over the last couple days of what impact the church, the potential impact, and then the impact that we've been making. And I, I want to make a genuine, authentic impact for Jesus Christ. Paul says this, he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and this is that, it's a transformational passage. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You know, old things Pass away, behold, all things become new. That's a transformational passage, but the key there is being in Christ. We can't be transformed unless we're in Christ. We can't have a better marriage unless we're in Christ. We can't have a better family unless we're in Christ. We can't help transform others unless we are in Christ. That is the key. In Christ, daily, walking with Him. So if you're in Philippians 3, that's where we're going because I'm going to talk about four keys to transformation from Philippians 3. The reason why I made that so specific is we can find all kinds of keys of transformation throughout the, the scripture, but I, I want to take a look at this passage, and, and, and this, this book is so powerful, uh, and this passage is so powerful as it uh, pertains to transformation. I'm going to give you a little bit of context of that passage, but first I'm going to read it. Philippians 3, starting in verse 10 through 14, Paul says this, I want to know Christ. I love that sentence. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. It's both. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Listen to his honesty. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What a perspective that is. 
Paul is he's writing about embracing the redemption power of God. He's embracing God's definition of when we think about what it means to live a successful life. That is success, knowing his power and knowing the fellowship of his sufferings and humbling himself. God's keys to transformation. In this book, in Philippians 3 specifically, we have a little bit of Paul's autobiography. He kind of, you know, kind of unfolds his life in front of us. First part of the chapter, he talks about his past. Here in this, te- this, this text, he is talking about his present and his future. And I, and I believe that in this passage, he gives us four keys to living the transformed life. Here's another thing I love about this passage. When you read Philippians, Philippians was not written on a beach in a hammock. It was written in prison, in a dungeon. And he's this book is also called the book of joy where he's encouraging people and he here he is writing out of a place of encouragement in a prison cell in a dungeon he is writing encouragement and joy to people saying here's the key to walking with christ here's the key to having a transformed life i think i would be writing get me out of here can you pray me out of here do something this is miserable but he was he found christ in the midst of his circumstances and I think that's important that we know the context of which this was written. When he is encouraging us and he says, here's what it means to be transformed. That he's writing from a place of suffering. He's writing from a place of, of darkness. So he gives us four keys. And I'm going to run through these. If you take notes, I'll, I'll, I'll give these to you. And uh, we're going to move um, somewhat quickly. And everybody said, yeah, right. Um, First one is self-examination and repentance. Self-examination and repentance. The first key of transformation. Verse 13a, he said, I consider myself. He cons- I consider myself. This is what will go right along with Doug's word. But the first place is we begin by admitting that we don't have it all together. You know that's a great place to be? The 12-step programs have that all figured out. I love Rick Warren's book, the, you know, Purpose Driven Life. He starts out, the very first sentence of that book is, it's not about you. It's not about me. We begin by admitting that we don't have it all together, that we have a long way to go, that we haven't arrived yet and we're not perfect. It has taken an inventory of our lives. You've got to know where you are before you can know where you're going to go. And you start by looking at those areas. And again, that's where I'm saying is, instead of just having this idea of, yes, we all want to be transformed, allow the Lord to do that inventory in your heart to point into specific things that he's working on in your life and do that inventory, not for your shame, but so that he can take you in this process of transformation. Looking at the areas that he is working on in my life. David, Psalm 139, he says, search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way. Examine my heart and then do the work that needs to be done in me. So Paul says this in verse 13, you know, he considers myself, he said, I consider myself. He said, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He was honest about his faults. 
The church could learn a lot if we get a, we need a healthy dose of, of transparency and vulnerability. He was aware of his weaknesses. In the Good News translation, this verse reads this, I don't claim that I have already succeeded or have become perfect. I think this is an amazing statement because also in context is Paul is an older man at this point in his life. If anyone had the right to, 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 claim, uh, you know, to claim perfection or that he had arrived, not maybe not perfection, but that he had arrived, it was Paul. Most of the New Testament is written by him. He single-handedly spread Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. His impact on the world is, is unbelievable. Being an apostle, and a lot of what happened in that area spread throughout to where we are recipients of that. Yet at the end of his life, here he says, I don't have it all together. I haven't arrived, I'm not perfect, I'm still growing, I'm still learning what God is telling me. You know the most successful people never stop growing, they never stop learning. They're developing, they're expanding, they're learning, and I want to be that way. I want to I be a student of Christ, I, wanna, I want him to be my teacher in relationship to learn as much as I can. I don't want to get to a place where I have arrived. But it, this is counterculture. It's contrary to the way we live life today. Because we, I think deep down inside, we all individually know we don't have it all together. But if we can put out the perception that we have it all together, that's kind of what we do. I'm guilty. Come on, let's be a support group here. Let's admit it. Where we put this facade on, we put the smile on, we, you know, we, we, we have learned to do that. I don't have it all together, but I really want you to think I have it all together. And it is, isn't it interesting when you see someone and you perceive and you kind of envy them and you go, man, they just have it all together. Maybe they just want you to think that they have it all together. No problems, no doubts. But like Paul, I think the older we get and the older that I get, I'm, I'm learning this and I'm aware of my inadequacies my limitations, my weaknesses, my faults. We just we need to be honest with ourselves. That's what the world is looking for. That's what that young man, that, I think that was behind the heartbeat of what he said. I'm not, I think I like God, but I'm not crazy about the fan club. Because I think that we have to have true honesty of how much we need Jesus. That's what's going to be, make an impact on the world is Christ's work in us. Proverbs 28, 13, it says this, you will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them and give them up, then God will show mercy to you. It's from the Good News Translation. There's something powerful about that, doing that self-examination and then repenting. Just the whole word repent has gotten a lot of negative play in our day, where, you know, we, we hear the word repent, and we think of these angry people on the street holding up signs. You know, there's that one church, and they're a bunch of nuts, and they hold up these angry, mean-spirited signs. That's, that's not helping anyone. But repentance is wonderful. 
It is coming into a place of relationship with Christ, and he loves you so much, and he says, I'm pointing this out, and you need to deal with this, and you go, out of love, I want to deal with that, and I want to turn from that, 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 that pattern, that way, that sin, and I want to go your way. That is the beauty of repentance, where Peter says in, in, in Acts 3, repent, therefore, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. A lot of times we think of repentance as, you know, this you know, self-beating of your, you know, self-punishment. And no, that is, is saying, Jesus, in relationship, in a love relationship with you, you're speaking to my heart and I want to walk differently. And I want to go out of the old way and I want to go in, in the new way that you have for me. That's the beauty of repentance. It's wonderful. It's a part of his relationship with us. He loves us enough not to leave us where we are. I've, I've confessed this before, but, you know, that, that whole idea of my, one of my biggest weaknesses is self-preservation. I know that I got a weakness, but I'm trying to figure out how I can talk my way around this thing instead of just hitting it head on and say, don't preserve myself. What am I trying to do? I want freedom in Christ. I want to be honest with God, with myself, with other people. And so I encourage you to ask these questions of the Lord as you pray and you seek the Lord. Lord, what are you doing in me? What needs to change in my life? What are you speaking to me about? And really listen. Write them down. Be intentional about the transformation. Take a personal inventory. Be honest with what you see. And then repent. Turn to Jesus. Repent of our attitudes, our actions. And it's not a shameful thing. It is a freeing thing that Jesus offers us. So self-examination, repentance. Number two is forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. Paul says this, and again in verse 13, he says, I forget what is behind. We have to stop being manipulated by our memories. Paul was saying that if you're going to be all that God wants you to be, you have to stop wasting your time on yesterday. And that can be past mistakes. That can even be past successes. That, there's a, that God's doing a new thing in our lives. And we can be haunted by, our, by the shame of the past, the decisions and the bad choices that we made in the past, and, and the enemy just tries to keep us walking in that forever. We have to let go of the guilt. We have to let go of the shame, the grief, and the grudges. Those are not of God. Godly repentance is of God. Godly conviction is of him. But you can't walk where God wants you to walk holding on to the past or being dictated by the past. Freedom in Christ is embracing his mercies that are new every day. Isaiah 43, I love this passage. 43, 18, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Did you hear the word dwell? That's just reliving it over and over. See, I am doing a new thing. How do you, you know, do you not know it? Can you not perceive it? I'm doing a new thing. And so how do you do that? You know, we can read that and say, okay, now for the practical side, how do we do that? How do we forget the past? Our brains store up everything that we do. How do I forget the former? The word forget 
is the word um, in Hebrew which says forget the former things is, is, is zakar, Z-A-K-A-R, and it means remember not. It does not mean that you no longer remember it. It means that you choose not to dwell on it any longer, that it doesn't dictate it. It's not a who you are any longer. You don't let the past affect you and control you and have power over you or manipulate you. That's why if we don't dwell on it, we can learn from the past and not dwell and be dictated on it to, to, to affect our future. This is where the enemy thrives. This is where most people, you, you counsel with people, you pray with people, it is something in the past, it is some decision, it is maybe a series of decisions, maybe it was a whole period of their lives that, that, that was just wrecked and they live in the shame and the guilt and it just dictates them, I will never ever be able to be who God has called me to be. And again, in context of who we're dealing with when Paul says, I forget what is behind. Here's a guy that was standing there when Christians were being stoned to death. And he was rounding them up and bringing them in for them to be stoned to death. If this guy, if anybody had a, had a reason to be dictated by his past and, and walk in shame and guilt, it would be him. Of God could never, you, look what I, 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 he could just have lived, God, I'm just glad I'm going to heaven. But you can't really do much in my life. Can you imagine if Paul would have lived there he would have never been who God called him to be. Don't allow the enemy to steal from you. Don't allow the enemy to manipulate you and keep you dwelling on the former. Don't rehearse things in your heart that God has long forgiven and forgotten. And so Paul is basically saying, that I'm learning to forget the past. I'm not going to sit and dwell on, dwell on it. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to walk in condemnation. But godly conviction, there is a difference. When Jesus brings in relationship godly conviction, that's where the enemy will try to slide in condemnation. We have to guard that. Number three, stay focused. Stay focused. The end of verse 13, Paul says, one thing I do. I love that. One thing I do. Because if you forget the past and then you just stay in neutral, you're really not making any ground. One thing I do. And he's saying, I'm focusing on one thing. I am going to forget the past, but I, there, there's a goal ahead of me. I'm going to be focused. See, a lot of us try to, we're trying to do a hundred different things at the same time, and we're so spread, so thin. And Paul is talking about focus in our walk with Christ. Focus. In our world, that busyness prevails. And that's why we can go throughout the day, and if we are not focused, our relationship with Christ is affected. You know, because we can find all kinds of excuses. I, I need to do this more. I need to do this more. I need to do this more. And, and it becomes works driven. And, and Jesus is trying to tell us that's not the point. Yes, I do want you to pray more. I do want you to read the word more. But I want you to be so in love with me that you do it out of the outflow of love, not of the outflow of guilt. And the way we do it out of the outflow of guilt is when we get too busy and we're not focused. 
One of life's greatest secrets to success, if you think of successful living, is intentional focus. 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So athletes understand focus. Earlier, David and I were talking about, you know, we were actually talking about poor Tim Tebow. Man, I wanted the guy to win. But they got smoked, and uh, if you're following Tim Tebow. But uh, I'm glad that Tim Tebow loves Jesus, and he's being a, he's being a testimony, and uh, we need to pray for that guy and people like that that are, have a public platform. But, but we were talking about athletes, and, when, when, and, and there's something powerful about repetition, about training, about doing things over and over. There was, a, there was a young man that walked up to a professional golfer, and, and we, we just heard this story, and he said, man, I'd love to be like you. And the golfer looked at him and said, you have no idea what I've done to get where I'm at. Are you ready to hit 1,000 golf balls a day with your hands are bleeding from blisters? Focus, concentration, athletes understand this. Listen to this story. In the 1920s, there was a young African-American child who was growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, One day, a famous athlete named Charlie Paddock came to his school to speak to the students. At the time, Paddock was considered the fastest human being alive. He told the children, listen, what do you want to be? You name it, and then believe that God will help you to be it. That little boy decided that he too wanted to be the fastest human being on the earth. The boy went to his track coach and told him of his new dream. His coach told him, it's great to have a dream, but to attain your dream, you must build a ladder to it. Here's the ladder to your dreams. The first rung is determination. The second rung is dedication. The third rung is discipline. And the fourth rung is attitude. The result of all that motivation and that coach's speech to him is that he went on to win four gold medals in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. He won the 100-meter dash and broke the Olympic and world records for the 200 meters. His broad jump record lasted for 24 years. That man's name was Jesse Owens. What a great story of determination, dedication, discipline, and having the right attitude. We can learn a lot spiritually. Paul uses some athletic language as it refers to us spiritually, running the race. He said, as a boxer, I don't want to just beat the air. I want to to land punches. I want to be effective. And so this is so spiritually true. Spiritual growth is not an accident. We have to be intentional. Transformation does not just happen overnight. We have to have determination, dedication, discipline, and the right attitude, and knowing that Jesus Christ wants to walk with us through it in relationship. Tissue. That leads me to the fourth thing, key to transformation from Philippians 3. Pressing forward. Verse 14, Paul says, as I straining towards what is ahead, I press on. So Paul ends, verse 13, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Pressing forward is exactly what I just talked about. It's determination, dedication. It is holy determination. It's never giving up. It's being devoted. It's being committed no matter what comes my way, no matter the circumstances. But let me say this. It is not human willpower. 
It's not human strength. Zechariah says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We will be changed. We will press forward when we understand that we can't do it in our human strength. We need Jesus desperately. Our holy determination is found through submitting our lives to the lordship of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the word day to day to day. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, and it goes back in reference to an earlier point that I made, but he said, I boast in my weakness because your power is perfected in my weakness. Paul was able to boast that he was weak. When I'm weak, Jesus, you are strong. This is a part of that inventory, knowing that we can't do it without him. That without him, we can do nothing, but with him, all things are possible. Pressing towards the goal to win the prize. What is the prize? The prize is Jesus himself. He gives us himself. The prize is Christ. That we walk with him on the earth and he calls us and he uses us by his glory. And in relationship, we get to build his kingdom, be partakers of the kingdom of God. But it's also the prize of heaven eternally that when we die, we get to go be with him forever and ever. We started the Sunday school class this morning, Relentless, and he talked this morning about finishing well. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for you. I want us to finish well. There's a lot of people that do not finish well. I want to get to the finish line and finish excellently. In closing, I want to uh, take a look at a passage of Scripture that Paul gave at the end of his life. I'm going to have the worship team come up and in a few moments, I'm just going to open up the front and I'm going to have our leaders come forward, um, ministry leaders and their, and their spouses. And, and we want to pray for you. We want to join with you in prayer and just seek the Lord together. And if there's something that, that God is speaking to your heart, we would love and, and, uh, to pray for you. We'd be call it an honor to pray for you and walk with you in this process. But I want to look at what Paul said. become kind of a personal anthem of mine um, in prayer. But in Acts 20, 24, he's, at, you know, he's getting towards the end of his life and he says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Isn't that good? But he doesn't stop there. If only I may finish the race, and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I consider my life worth nothing. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This was his anthem. This was Paul's anthem. This must become our anthem. He did not stop. He did not quit. He did not give up. He kept pressing forward, forgetting the past, not being dictated by circumstances in life. And he said, I'm going to press forward and I'm going to experience all God has for me. I'm going to finish what God has begun in me. He who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Finishing well.
So to finish the race, to walk in transformation in this invitation from Jesus. Today, I want, you, I want us all to take this honest look at ourselves and first of all, self-examine. Do a self-evaluation and repent for what the Lord is putting his hand on. I encourage you, don't, don't deflect that. Don't, don't say, well, if it weren't for this circumstance, then I would be this way. Don't deflect that. Don't self-preserve like I do sometimes. Be honest before God and say, I, I take responsibility, Lord. You are putting your hand on this, and I take responsibility for what you're doing in me. This is not someone else. This is me. And then get right with God because he loves you deeply. Second thing is, is maybe you're here today and you, you, you just need to stop dwelling on the past. And you need, you need the Lord's help to do that. Maybe there's some shame and guilt and things that you relive, things that you rehearse. If I had only done that differently, I wish I'd have never done that. You can't go back and do it again. If we could go back and do it again, we, would need, we wouldn't need redemption. That's why we have Jesus that can take us forward. Maybe you need prayer for that today. Maybe you need prayer to stay focused. Maybe you need prayer to press forward to all that God has for you. But here, again, here's the encouraging thing I want to leave with us, that Paul got this, and I want us to get it, is we don't have to do it alone. Jesus, in relationship with us, wants to walk with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Word of God, and through the relationship we have with others. That you don't have to walk alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. So I'm going to open up the front. I'm going to just close in prayer. If you need to go, uh, be blessed. Have a great day. But I'm just going to open up the front. And if you want prayer for something, please let us know. And we'll have the leaders up here. And we would love to pray for you and knock on the doors of heaven with you and, and seek the Lord with you and come alongside you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Lord, with all my heart, I want to finish well. I want us all to finish well, Lord God. I want us to get to the end of our lives and the end of the race that you have set before us. And I want to be running full stride into the arms of Jesus. Lord, I don't want to live with a bunch of regrets. I want to walk in everything you have for me and my family and for this church. Lord, I pray, God, that we would take an honest look at our hearts today and the things that we need to get right, we would get right. We would, we would come honestly before you as David did and say, search me, oh God. See if there be any offensive way. And I want to get that right, oh God. Lord, help us to stop dwelling on the past. Lord, give us the strength to do that. Help us to focus and help us to press on, press forward to our heavenly prize. Lord, I pray for each person in this room, whatever you're doing, the work of God that is going on in their hearts, I pray that, Lord, you would come, that they would understand that you work in their hearts out of love. Your conviction is out of love. Your discipline is out of love because you want the best for us. So, Lord, we give you our hearts today. And we ask that you would come. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name. The worship team is going to be worshiping. Have the lights down. And I just encourage you to come up and pray and seek the Lord.